you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6 today is where we're at on this journey uh, through this book of Mark, where we have uh, been taking these snapshots of Jesus's life and seeing how uh, they, what they mean to us. It's, it's sort of we're journeying through this, this thing, discovering who Jesus is through this book of the Bible and still trying to figure out why this man who lived 2,000 years ago still impacts our life today. That we actually gather in a room like this, that there are people gathered all over the world uh, today and every day of the week talking about who Jesus is, this man who lived 2,000 years ago. Uh, that stories were written about, but yet we still gather to look at his encounters and look at his life and see what we can learn from him. Last week, we looked at three almost unbelievable encounters with Jesus, where he went around and he healed a man that was demon-possessed and just did some incredible work. He, he healed a woman that had been dealing with an issue in her life for years and years and had become to define her, and he brought this little girl back to life, and we learned that there is really no pain in our life. There's no stain that Jesus cannot overcome, and he can bring life even when it feels like our life seems meaningless and worthless and not even living anymore. He can bring anything back to life. And today we're shifting a little bit, and we're going to look at a couple of other encounters of Jesus, of not how he demonstrates his authority, but how he shares his authority. And we're going to read a story today that's kind of unlike any other one in the Bible, because up till this point, all we've seen of these stories of Jesus are these amazing pictures. These amazing pictures of like, look at what he did here. Look at what he did here. Jesus is like this superstar. I mean, it's like flipping through somebody's amazing Instagram post, right? There's never a bad picture. It's just always they're on spot and on point. But we're going to get to a point right here as part of the story where things don't go well for Jesus. He's actually rejected. I don't know if you've ever been to a Disney World. My family used to love going down to Disney World. And as you walk in that park, they have these professional uh, photographers who know just where to help get your family lined up to take the most beautiful pictures. You know, you're right in front of the castle, right in front of this ride. And like you, everywhere you stop, they will just take your picture, take your picture. And at the end of the day, you can come and pick up those pictures and they will have this beautiful collage of pictures that you can take home with you. I used to have a couple friends that worked in that uh, part of the park. And they said it, those beautiful pictures that you see, those are just a small part of what they actually take. He said when they're taking your picture, they actually take about 20 of them at a time, just very fast, and then they go through and pick the best one. But what they love doing is finding the worst ones, and they created this wall of shame, like back where you can't see it, that was like, look at this guy. Look at this, these funny faces. They would zoom in on the crazy pictures and faces. I guess they had that something to pass the time with. They had this just wall of shame. And, and some of us, they, we live our life thinking every part of our life has to be perfect. Everything's got to be on point, spot on. And the truth is, for most of us, if we're honest, most of our cameras are filled with pictures. Most of our minds, pictures in our minds are filled with these images of us where we failed, where we've fallen short, not the beautiful pictures. And we're going to see how Jesus actually deals with this today and how he learns to, to even when it's, when he isn't accepted, he can still multiply his authority and share it with other people in such a way that they can make an impact for him. Jesus was an incredible multiplier of ministry. The reason we're still talking about him today, 2,000 years later, 
isn't just because of what he did. It's because that those that came after him continued to exercise his authority, continued to tell the story. We get to continue to tell the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus didn't end when he died and rose again and then went into heaven. The story of Jesus has continued from that point on till today because he multiplied his ministry. You see, most of us, if we have authority or we have power, you know what we like to do? We like to hoard it. We like to hold on to it. I mean, you see this in our world all the time. You see how, how this country deals with this country, or you see it how this political party deals with this political party, or this business competition deals with this business competition. You want to crush the competition. You don't want to leave any market for them to get a foothold. You try to take it all, hoard the power, hoard the authority. But Jesus understood, Jesus operated under a very different and completely different model. Instead of trying to acquire, hoard it, and then simply demonstrate his power and authority, he came to share it with those that would follow him, to share it with those that would submit to him and surrender their life to him. And while we hear this deliberately in Jesus' last words to his disciples in the Great Commission when he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, now you go, you take it, and you do something with it. So we hear it very deliberately there. In Mark chapter 6, we start to see Jesus demonstrating it. Demonstrating, actually not just saying it with his words, but giving it and being a demonstration of it. You see, Jesus is not power hungry. He's actually very generous with with his authority. Jesus isn't about killing competition. He's actually about creating a coalition of people that are out working on his behalf. Why did Jesus do that? Because, again, he understood the power of multiplication. This movement that was beginning with him would not last if he did not multiply his wisdom and his authority to those that would be there after he was gone. And so we're going to read two parts of chapter 6 today where we're going to see Jesus multiplying certain things. So if you've got your Bibles, Mark chapter 6, 1 through 13. If you don't know how to, if you don't have a way to access that, it'll be on the screen this morning. But uh, just listen to this story, follow along however you like to experience scripture. It starts like this, Mark 6, verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. Now, before we go any further, just Jesus had been out all over the countryside. I mean, his fame had spread. He had basically left home, made it, like made it big time, and now he's coming back home, all right? So it's whatever you imagine, like whatever dream you have of making it big time, Maybe you grew up thinking, I'm going to be a professional baseball player. I'm going to make it big in the business world. I'm going to make it big on Broadway. I'm going to, whatever it is, like he had accomplished it. Like the whole area, the whole nation was talking about Jesus and he comes back home. And then it says, verse two, and on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us right now? And they actually took offense to him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people, and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went among, out among the villages teaching. And then verse 7. It says, And then he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two 
And he gave them authority over unclean spirits, and he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, uh, as you depart, if not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed by them. The thing I want you to see out of this story is first, Jesus multiplies opportunities. He multiplies opportunities. Up until this point in the book of Mark, Jesus had been the superstar. He was a one-man show. Every story was about him, his success, the crowds that were following him, the enormous popularity of Jesus, the stories of amazement and healing. But in the beginning of this chapter, something shifts. We start to see a time here when Jesus wasn't effective, when his family and those that he grew up with pushed back, rejected him, and they said, isn't this just Mary's son, the carpenter? And his brothers and sisters are here among us. And we start to see him taking the spotlight off of himself and starting giving other people the opportunity to lead. Mark puts these two stories together for a reason. We see an ineffective, that Jesus is ineffective not because of who he is or, or what he's doing, but because of the way people view him. And so what Jesus does is he starts to multiply opportunities and says, if they're not going to listen to me, maybe they'll listen to somebody else. And here's how he multiplies. There's a couple things we can catch. One is this. I want you to hear. It takes different people to reach different people. All right? It just takes different people to reach different kinds of people. Not even Jesus was received and welcomed by everyone. Can you imagine how difficult it might be to accept that your brother is the Messiah? I mean, I love my brother. He is no Messiah, right? I'm sure if he's watching this at some point this week, he'd be like, neither are you, Patrick, right? I mean, imagine this idea, like the, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus? Like I changed his diaper. Like I did all of these things. I watched him grow up and all that. Like, really? This kid who used to run around with all the other kids, this is the Messiah? It was hard to believe. Hard to, hard to fathom that somebody that you knew is now famous and, and beyond and doing something unimaginable. And these people could not accept it. And here's what Jesus did that was amazing to me. He didn't get upset. He marveled at their unbelief. But he didn't rebuke them. He didn't, like, call down fire from heaven and consume them right there in the synagogues. Like, you don't believe me? Let me show you. You know, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't get upset and angry. Instead, what he did was something that many people in authority struggle with. He sent out other people to share the same message, to perform the same acts, to demonstrate the same love. If people wouldn't listen to him, maybe they would listen to somebody else. As a pastor, a lot of times I get people, they're like, hey, I've got a friend that you need to talk to. Like this guy, man, he is, he is a sinner. Like you need to really talk to him. And I'm like, well, why, don't, why do I need to? Why, you know, God put you in his life to talk to them. Like, why do I have to show up? Like, I, I remember Katie one time, she had a patient and they started talking about spiritual things. And she came home and she said, I'd love for you to talk to this person. Like, you, you would be great. And I was thinking, well, you know, you're, 
it's your friend, but if it, if it works, if you think I will, if it makes a difference, I will. Well, I tried to talk to this person. Like with me, they were like, nope, not even, like it just did not work. But when they talked to Katie, like all of a sudden, they started opening up again. And you realize at that point that not every person can reach every person, right? It takes different people to reach different people. Too often we get frustrated and angry when someone doesn't respect us, listen to us, understand us, and what do we do? We cut them off. We're like, all right, if you're not going to listen to me, forget it then. I'm just cutting you off. Instead of realizing they still need wisdom, forgiveness, and love, but maybe they'll hear it best from somebody else. I want you to hear this morning, this isn't an excuse to not have to deal with difficult people. All right? To be like, we just don't connect, I'm out. That's not an excuse. Instead, it's a realization that maybe they are difficult just because we aren't compatible for some reason. We aren't compatible. It doesn't mean that I'm better and they're worse or that I'm right and they're wrong. It just means that we might not be the best fit for one another. It means that it's my job to then help them connect with somebody else, to find someone else that they maybe can connect with that can share the love and grace of Christ with them. Can I tell you something this morning? And some of you are like, what I'm about to say, you're like, yeah, I get this. But for some of us, we struggle with this. You don't have to be everybody's best friend. You don't. You can't. Some people just aren't going to like you and aren't going to want to spend time with you and are not going to be your best friend. And that's okay. You can be best friends with those you're most compatible with because it takes different people to reach different people. This is why at New City we say this, we value unity over uniformity. We value unity over uniformity. If we're all exactly the same in here, we are limiting who we can reach and who we can connect with. And all, we can be unified over who Christ is and what Christ has done in our life, but we don't have to be uniform in our, our social beliefs. We don't have to be uniform in our political beliefs. We don't have to be uniform in, in our backgrounds and any of those kind of things. We can be very unique in those but walk in unity together. I can't connect with everyone. Neither can you. But together, we can connect with many people. So it takes different people to reach different people. The second thing we see in this passage about multiplying opportunities is this. It's always better to work as a team. It's always better to work as a team. You see what Jesus did here? When he realized, okay, these people I can't reach, so I'm going to send some other people. He went to his disciples, the 12, and he said, hey, I'm going to send you out in this area. And he didn't just send them out by themselves as loners. He connected them, and he sent them out two by two. Now, why did he send them out in prayers? He didn't do this so they could compete with one another or keep tabs on one another. Instead, he did it because he knew this, that there is power in community and cooperation instead of individuality and isolation. There is power in community and cooperation not individuality and isolation. Two people working together have the ability to lean on each other when there is discouragement. They have the ability to listen to each other when they face challenges. They have the ability to learn from each other through shared wisdom, and they have the opportunity to celebrate with each other through victories that they'll experience it together. Whatever it is that God has called you to do and given you authority to do, I want you to hear this. It's always best to do it with someone else, to do it with somebody Can I tell you, there's a subtle trap in this. It's a trap I often fall prey to. And here's the trap. If I'm not careful, I'll always be inviting people to join me on my journey instead of being willing to join people 
on their journey. To always think that my journey, what I'm doing, is the most important. That my story is the central story. That everybody else gets a blessing by joining my story. I want to be the star of the story instead of the supporting cast. It's not that we necessarily do this out of arrogance and pride. Sometimes we just do it out of ignorance. That we think the way that I do it, the way that I approach things, the way that I think things, is the way that everybody ought to think. The way that everybody ought to approach it. And we start inviting people to be a part of my story instead of actually sometimes looking for opportunity to join people in their story. Let them be the star and let me support them. It's so easy to get caught into this trap. And I want to remind you that this is not about you. It's not about me. Joining together is not about me always giving into you or you always giving into me. It's us coming together to share the grace and peace of Christ. He sent them out not to compete with one another or didn't say, hey, John, you're in charge of Peter or James, you're in charge of this person. He sent them out together with one passion, one vision, and that was to share the kingdom of God, the grace and peace of Christ. So it's always better to work together as a team. The other thing I want you to see about how he multiplies opportunities is this. And hear this clearly this morning. It isn't our job to reach or to save everyone to reach or to save everyone. Jesus gave the disciples instruction. He says, if you go and they don't accept you, he says, shake the dust off of your sandals if they aren't received when they stop. The idea here is basically what he's saying is this. Do what you can do and then move on. Do what you can do and then move on. You don't have to carry the burden of every person you meet. If you try to share wisdom to them and they don't receive it, it's okay. If you try to show love to them and they don't receive it, it's okay. If you try to give forgiveness to somebody and they don't receive it, it's okay. If you try to share with them about the good news of Jesus and they don't receive it, it's okay. We did our part of trying to share it. You do not have to carry the burden of salvation of every man, woman, and child on your shoulders. Jesus never intended us to carry that burden. That is the burden he carried to the cross. It is our job to simply go and to share What they do with it is up to them. Again, this does not excuse us from going out and being willing to share, being willing to forgive, being willing to love, but we cannot determine how everybody receives it. It's too heavy of a burden. When when I was younger, after PJ, PJ was probably three years old, we were out shopping with my mom at some store, some grocery store, and my mom, she loves big purses. I mean, these, it's like carrying a suitcase around when she goes places. And I remember it was like, a, growing up, it was like a magic bag. Like, he was like, Mom, do you have this? And she would go searching in there. And whatatever it was, she would pull it out. Like, if you remember, the, if she saw Harry Potter, you like that bag you can open and, like, pull all this crazy stuff. It was like a magic bag. And she had this huge bag. We were shopping, and she handed it to PJ to hold. And, like, he hold and he was about to fall over. And he started saying, too heavy, Mima, too heavy, too heavy. And he's like just about to fall over. It was too much of a burden for him. And the thing is this, sometimes we try to carry a load that only God is designed to carry. And it's too heavy for us. And when it's too heavy for us, it starts to bend us and break us and make us do things that we shouldn't normally do. If I carry the guilt of the world that I've got to save everyone, I've got to make everybody respond, I've got to make everybody you know, forgive me or receive the forgiveness I've given to them, 
guess what? I'll start using tools that God never wanted me to, to use. I'll start using things like guilt or manipulation. Or I'll start doing things to, to try to make them act a certain way to, to direct their steps. And that's not what Jesus wanted. He never intended for you to carry that burden. Instead, simply carry the burden of going and allowing him to speak through you. The idea that I want you to grab out of this first part is this, is that I want us to understand that Jesus didn't come so that you and I could just follow him and hide behind him. Jesus actually came so that we could advance the kingdom of grace and peace to all people. Jesus is sending us out. Too often we get caught up in just trying to stay behind Jesus and make sure we don't mess anything up. And if we do this, then the Christian life simply turns into something about a task, trying not to do anything to mess up the faith. Stay still, stay quiet, keep it down, and let Jesus do all the work. Instead, Jesus is sending us as he sent his disciples. He wants us to go, to advance, to multiply his love, hope, and forgiveness to everyone we meet. We don't have to wait on Jesus to show up before something great can happen. I want you to hear this. Something great can happen because Jesus is sending us with his authority. You see what the disciples did in that story? It says they went, and and Jesus didn't like pop in and check on them. They just went by themselves because they were sent with his authority, and they did. They did the same things he was doing, loving people, healing people, giving grace to people, restoring people. They were making them back because they were sent. It wasn't like they got there and said, oh, you need healing? Let me call Jesus and get him here. They were exercising his authority. You are sent. Quickly, I want us to close with the second part of this story here, and it's down in, in verse 30. Let me read Mark six thirty through 44, and it's another time Jesus multiplies something. Verse 30 says this, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. All right, so they had been out. We don't know how long, but they came back and found Jesus. I guess Jesus was taking like a mini, you know, vacation and hanging out for a while by himself. But they came back and found him. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, talking about Jesus and the disciples. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great cow, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is late. Send them away and go into, to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy them something to eat. But he answered to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do we have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, we have five loaves and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups by the hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples, set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them as well. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men that day. An incredible miracle of Jesus multiplying. And what did he multiply here? He multiplied provision. 
provision. He provided. One of the things that always gets me about this kind of passage is how calm Jesus is in spite of this crazy circumstance. I don't know about you, but when I had an overwhelming circumstance, something I don't know how I'm going to handle, what's going to happen, like I don't just calmly walk through it. Oh, let's see what happens here. I, I start to fret. I start to get a little anxious. I start to worry. I start to, get, I start to tune out what Jesus is teaching in that point. I start counting the people, and I'm like, well, we don't have enough food. We don't have enough stuff. We, we're we're going to be short. Something bad is going to happen. And I get upset, and I get fretful, and I get anxious. We worry about things, and why didn't Jesus do this? It's not because... I mean, yeah, he is the son of God, and I think he knows, but he, he is, it's his character of peace. It's who he is. He walks with peace. When he sees a struggle like this, he, he's peace. When there's a storm, he's peace. When there's a crisis, he has peace. He has peace in whatever moment you are facing. And just like in the other story, there are a few th- key things I want us to grab here. And the first one to me is, pivotal today and it's this jesus is going to put us in situations where we don't have enough resources he is going to put you in a situation where you do not have enough resources this one story is not out of the norm for jesus and the disciples right they show up to a wedding there's no wine they get in a boat and there's a storm about to tip over the boat They show up at this town, and there's a mob wanting to throw Jesus off the cliff. There are angry religious leaders wanting to kill him. There are people showing up with demons and disease approaching Jesus. He finds people that are dead, and he brings them back to life. And yet in every one of these circumstances, Jesus doesn't fret or get anxious. He stays calm and peaceful, and he comes through. And I want you to hear this. He doesn't just barely come through. He comes through an abundance, an abundance. He didn't just barely have enough to feed these people. They had more than enough left over. There were, there were take-home bags for everybody. And too often we think that following Jesus is going to put us in a position of safety and security, away from trials and troubles. But the exact opposite is often true. Dark and difficult places are the norm. Jesus lived counterculturally. And when you live counterculturally, you intentionally put yourself in places where hope has faded and truth is absent so that you can bring light to the darkness and life to places of death. Following him and advancing the gospel will lead us to these kind of places that feel hopeless and dark. But that is why following Jesus is a journey in overcoming unbelief. The disciples didn't know what he was going to do. They had to overcome their unbelief. And can I tell you how this has shown up in my life? It's in, like, we all worry. Like, I still worry what's going to happen. But I've seen a subtle shift in my life from worry to wonder. Stop worrying what's going to happen, what's God going to do, and start just wondering how's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And start to live with a wonder instead of a worry. And what this creates in me is an an expectation and an existence of dependence. Or I have to depend on God. When I wonder, I'm depending on him. When I'm worried, I'm trying to direct him, to try to tell him what to do. The second thing I want you to see out of this is that Jesus will ask you and I to be part of the solution, of multiplying 
the resource. What does he say to them? You feed them. You take care of it. You go out. You be sent. You do it. Jesus will ask us to be a part of the solution. Ask us to join in him in his work, no matter how outlandish or difficult it seems. I mean, imagine you're one of these disciples, and all you have is you've surveyed the crowd, and all you come back with is five loaves and two fish. Like You're like, this isn't feeding us. This is not even enough for the 12 of us, much less these people. But Jesus says, have them sit down, and he breaks the bread and gives it to the disciples and has, has them distribute it. I know too often in my life, I've prayed for God to show up and do something, and then I just sit back and wait. Like, I prayed about it, God. Now you do it. And I just sit back and wait on him to do something instead of sitting up and listening and saying, God, what is it that you're leading me to do to accomplish this? We get to be a part of the miracle. Too often we treat prayer like a genie in the bottle. If we get enough people praying the same things, then maybe God will show up and grant us our wish. Can I tell you something? Prayer doesn't move God to act. Prayer instead moves my heart, my mind, my soul to where God is already acting. And see, and that's, we think we're begging God to show up in our life instead of realizing when we pray, we are moving ourselves under the flow of God's grace and peace and our heart, our mind, our soul are lining up with God and what God is already doing. God wants to invite you into the process. And when we do this, the last thing you'll see is this, that Jesus will accomplish more than we can imagine. Jesus is a miracle worker. He works miracles. I mean, there's no other way to explain what happened here. They didn't have enough food hidden in this desolate place, like behind some rocks that he had planned ahead to feed 5,000 people. It was a miracle. He came through. And I don't know what kind of miracle you need this morning, Maybe it's something physical you're dealing with. Maybe you're carrying emotional scars that feel like a dagger to your heart every day. Maybe you're in a broken relationship that just cuts at you. Maybe you're overcome with guilt and shame because of a sin or failure in your life that has overtaken your soul. Can I share something with you today? I don't know what kind of miracle Jesus you need, but I know that Jesus is willing to perform a miracle for you. He's able to do something for you that you cannot imagine or explain. I don't know what kind of a miracle it will be. I can't tell you it's going to be a physical healing or an emotional healing or a relational healing. I don't know what it will be. Maybe it's going to be peace to endure, hope to overcome, joy to sustain, or maybe it's restoration of a marriage. Maybe it's redemption of a broken spirit, or maybe it's renewal of a physical body. I don't know, but I do know this. Jesus often doesn't do what we think he should do. They told him to send the people away. And most times we pray, God, send our problem away. And he didn't do that. Instead, he brought enough provision to sustain them through it. Our prayers more than often, take it away. Get it out. Just get rid of the problem. And Jesus says, no. Instead, I want to give you provision to walk and sustain through it. You see, Jesus doesn't just want us to partake of his goodness and his grace. He wants us to participate in it, to be a part of it, to experience it. As we close today, as we've read these stories, maybe the question's coming to your mind that it came to my mind. 
Why did Jesus do this? Why didn't he just miraculously pop from place to place, teaching people, healing people, instead of sending out his disciples? Why didn't he just make bread and fish rain down from heaven, drop in people's laps, instead of including the disciples in the crowd in this process? It would have been easier. Can I, can I tell you why? Because Jesus is not about the easy way. He is about the effective way. He's not about just what's easiest. He's about what is most effective. And what is most effective for the advance of the kingdom is multiplying his grace and peace through people, not just bottling it in himself. You see, there is power in multiplication. Jesus didn't just call us to be his disciples. He called us then to go and make disciples. And for those disciples that we make, to go and make other disciples and to multiply what he has done in our lives. It is a call to move forward into opportunities that he opens for us and to participate with him in sharing the love, forgiveness, and hope that we know. And so my question for you today is this. What opportunity in your life is God asking you to participate in being the provision for? Instead of sitting back and saying, God, fix this, do this, take it away, where is he asking you to participate in helping bring provision? It may not be a physical healing or a full restoration or someone receiving forgiveness, but it's a willing to say, God, I want provision to sustain through this. What challenging are you facing that you can pray for God to move your heart, mind, and soul to where he is working instead of asking just him to work? Do you realize that when God answers prayers, the tool that he uses the most to answer prayer is other people? It's other people. It's not fish and bread from heaven falling down from the sky. It's the disciples walking around, giving bread, giving fish that came from Jesus that just continues to multiply. What is beautiful about this to me is this. We get to make ourselves available. When we make ourselves available, we get to be the answer to people's prayers through Jesus multiplying his efforts through us. Will you step out with others in our faith family today and be the body of Christ to this world and move forward, giving the provision and multiplying the provision of Jesus that he has given you? Let's pray together. Father, I am uh, overwhelmed by the fact that you invite me into this journey, not to be your slave, not to just follow you blindly and uh, to keep quiet and in the back. God, you you don't even call me just to stand beside you and to walk with you. Those are both part of it. But God, today we've learned that, God, you send me ahead. You send me out with your authority and with your provision. And when I do that, you will multiply it more than I can ever imagine. And God, I pray as a church we would grab hold of that, that we would become a people not waiting, not hesitating, not holding back, but, God, a, a people that are moving forward, multiplying, spreading your grace, your hope, and your peace to other people. God, we're a room filled with people who need a miracle today, who need provision in our life. And God, it is our prayer today that we experience that miracle. And God, whether it's a taking away, but even more so an ability to sustain through the resources that you give us. God, help us to walk in your provision and your grace today. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.